In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listen to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. And we have another very special episode. We have the 2001 movie Moulin Rouge. I believe that's the way you say it. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, came out June 1st, 2001. So this is a pre 9 11 movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, director Baz Luhrmann, who we did uh, also Romeo and Juliet. This is also his follow up to Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that until I was doing some research on it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he doesn't make a lot of movies in general. He, he has a lot of space in between a lot of his movies because so. <laughs> he's only made like seven movies for a guy who's been around since the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cinematographer is uh, Donald McAlpine, who. Yeah, that's probably how I say his name. Uh, you know, it's, he worked with Baz Luhrmann a lot, so he that's like a, a lot of his what he does with Baz Luhrmann is kind of what he's known for. And so, you know, he's a you know, you know a lot of this is the same people from <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, uh, written by Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce. I, want, I didn't even check up. I wonder if he has any relations to Guy Pierce, who's also isn't Guy Pierce Australian? I believe so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so i wonder if they're related <laughs> two australians named pierce in hollywood it can't be a coincidence can't actually no it might be different because i think the spelling on pierce is different it is not mentioned anywhere in his bio it's a very small bio though so pierce here is p-e-a-r-c-e -E. what's the other pierce <laughs> just immediately frozen guy pierce? pierce yeah guy pierce, guy pierce. i think he's p-e-r-c-e I think that's the one i just watched the rover recently was he was he the one oh no it's that's the same spelling oh okay huh. oh, oh well anyways i mean it could be australia's not a big country it's big geographically but it's not got a lot of people yeah. so <laughs> i didn't know there were less people in cal or more people in california it's like that's weird to think uh, but again, more people again, in california there's an or in canada too so it's like uh, <laughs> strange yeah canada's big <laughs> It has, a, it has an economy unto itself that's bigger than most most countries, so, you know. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, California's bigger economy than the UK. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a couple of kids at the class who were just talking about, like, what, what a shit California is, which, again, sure. Also, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> there's great places. There's going to be places. But California is not one thing. No, California no. is a lot of things. <laughs> well, I was surprised, like, what that one terrorist guy they were talking about was living in the woods of California and a lot of the like bugaboo guy, whatever they are, boogaloo guys, that's like yeah. California centric. It's like, Oh, you don't, th yeah. you think of like Northern Michigan or somewhere in the South where all the nuts with guns are gathering to talk anti-government, not like in the redwood forests of Northern California. <laughs> but yeah, that's where a lot of them are, but it's always the same uh, thing. Hey, we can make and sell drugs. <laughs> to, to raise money for our whatever you know sons of anarchy style stuff and it never works because they're all like yeah. weirdos and they don't know how to run a business 
Yeah, and everyone's ego gets in the way. You kind of have to be. You kind of have to have friends to create a revolution. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna sell drugs to fund an enterprise, you got to have like a Walter White mentality. (laughs) Of yeah, I'm gonna do lots of evil stuff, but I'm gonna be low key, not like bold about it. Well, and have a backstory that's sympathetic until you realize, like, oh right, he's evil. He's not sympathetic anymore. Yeah. At some point, this was lost along the way. <laughs> uh, cast, we have Nicole Kidman. It was the first time that Baz Luhrmann worked with her. And then he worked with her again on when they all came together to make the Australia movie. Yeah. Uh, Never seen that either. Uh, she is also Australian. so Yes, surprisingly, she is. <laughs> Maybe the most famous Australian actress? I'm not sure. Probably. Yeah. She's someone uh, who's McRae. looked beautiful for like 30 years. She's like got yeah. that longevity to her too. It's like, <laughs> oh, she's just as hot now as she was 20 years ago. Well, yeah, well, yeah now she has like kind of the weird thing. Well, it's like the unfortunate thing where it's like for women in Hollywood where it's like you got to look like you're 20 for the rest of your life or yeah. you're out of Hollywood. So she does have some weird like plastic surgery stuff. But it's like, yeah, at the right angle and with Hollywood magic, yeah, you are an absolutely still a beautiful woman. Uh, and you would have been a beautiful woman had you aged naturally, but Hollywood won't let you do yeah, that. Yeah, but people so. are <laughs> heads because like no one, can, <laughs> no one can look normal, and it's like everyone's like, oh no, you got to do this. Like, did you see Madonna? It's like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Somebody said she looked like the Dracula from the Francis Coppola's Dracula. With <laughs> it's like, yeah, she kind of does. Yeah, because people are like, what's a 40-year-old woman going to do? She doesn't have agency or does anything. <laughs> like, only 20-year-old women can have lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of, there's a lot of dumb ideas out there with people and how they look. But see, I don't live in weirdo land. See, around here, everyone looks normal. Yeah. Like, everyone's, like, people are fat. They're corn-fed. They <laughs> can, Women can pick up axles and carry them and repair farm <laughs> equipment. Like, that's the kind of women I know, a lot of them. It's like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with them because they don't look any better than me. So it's not like <laughs> like I can judge like, oh, I'm so much prettier. Uh, also, Ewan McGregor and John Leguizamo is like that's the top build star. Which again, John Leguizamo also worked on Romeo and Juliet. So yes, came back for that. <laughs> John Leguizamo <laughs> does weird work like this. Yeah. Spawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he has a very eccentric, weird career. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he can do anything, serious dramas, comedies, whatever you want. He's there, he's he's down. <laughs> so we have act one, we fade in, there's like a stage, and there's red curtains, and then we get the 20th Century Fox opening with fanfare, and there's like a bald conductor down below, uh, which in the audio commentary makes it sound weird, but like this was like some kind of compromise, like they make it sound like, yeah, we had to like legally do this. I'm like, well, what were you going to start the movie with? Every movie starts with like who released it and stuff like that. So I have no idea what that was about. But the commentary on the movie is kind of weird because it's like, it's not like one single track commentary. It's like, it's like somebody edited together four different commentaries with whatever they thought was the most interesting. Huh. But at least on the on the Blu-ray, they have like a they have like picture in picture stuff. So they'll show like behind the scenes at the same time while you're watching the movie and they'll also have in the corner like what song and where it came from which is nice because it's like i had to stop this movie like every five minutes wait well what song is that and who originally wrote that song it took longer to license the movie the music for this movie than it did to make the movie and edit it. <laughs> it took two years to get the rights to all the songs in this. <laughs> and there was some stuff they filmed and just couldn't get the rights to and 
yeah. never was released. It's like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, forget who's the big holdout on this, but there's, there was figure if you can get the Beatles, like you can get anybody. <laughs> Beatles, it like depends who owns their work at, at what time. Yeah, because a lot of them, a lot of the rights were sold. Yeah, well, I think I think McCartney has a bunch of them now. I know at one point, like uh, Michael Jackson owned a bunch of them. Yeah, but that got distributed somewhere. Yeah, well, because everyone's like, "Well, okay, <laughs> this guy's no longer seen as a good guy." So. <laughs> um, I well, I think this, they got had, a, this, this had a cool double disc uh, soundtrack. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack to this I think went triple platinum. Like it sold 10 million copies, but it was all just, all kinds of songs. They just have like the originals or it have like no. the versions from the movie. For, uh, both. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Like I said it was a big double disc uh uh it was a big double disc thing uh cuz I originally think it was part 1 and part 2 and then it just became a double disc. Oh, okay. But yeah, it was like it made a bunch of money, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember like uh, used to, used to shopping for CDs. I never actually bought like a Pink Floyd album. I always wanted to. It's like well, I could get the Wall because that's just like quantity and quality all at the same time. But buying the Wall was like thirty five dollars in like nineteen ninety four. So I never bought the Wall. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I had all those. Have on vinyl too. Some of them, not all of them. Some of them. <laughs> because if you buy them back then, you could probably get them for a steal. <laughs> uh yeah. Some of the vinyl stuff, the used ones, was a good price. I've I've got some vinyl some recently, like in the last five years. It's it's not a deal, but it's <laughs> it's still cool. It's it's yeah. that and Jethro Tull is about the only thing I'll spend vinyl money on. I just don't uh, think I listen to my record player a lot anymore because I don't have room <laughs> with all the volum voluminous crap I've accumulated. Uh, we got titles, Paris 1900, which will almost not matter at all <laughs> because where this movie goes. Uh, I wrote with some guy in white face paint and is singing, but this is John Leguizamo yeah. <laughs> singing a song called There Was a Boy, which I'm not sure where that's from or if that's original. Um then we see you and McGregor for a moment. Uh, it's all in black and white. There's like flying, snapping camera zooms and all of that. And we go through like the worst of Paris showing off where it's just like crime and debauchery. Yeah. And then we get you and McGregor who's Christian and he's drunk in his apartment. Right. I assume he's drunk. I'm not sure if we get like a confirmation. I, th I think there's empty bottles. I don't know. That's just kind of a usual thing. It's like, ah, it's a down on his luck rider. He's, of course, he's drunk when he should be writing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's avoiding his typewriter. Uh, then we get voiceover, and Christian explains the Moulin Rouge, which is French for the Red Mill. Yep. And it was like a, it, it still, I think they rebuilt it. I know it like got burnt down in like 1915 or something like that, but it was a real place that was like a burlesque show in Paris. Yeah, and it was originally it was like a a grain mill with a with a windmill on it. <laughs> when that part of Paris was like the edge of town. <laughs> and it was just like yeah, it was a burl it was a burlesque slash whorehouse or whatever. Yeah. Well, I can't think of like what's the what's the PC way to say that. Uh, so yeah, you could go watch a show and then like hey, I want I want that lady for the night. <laughs> yeah, you can watch the show and then afterwards sleep with the dancers. Um, Sounds very French. Is, uh, which 
is represented here uh, in an idea, but they never really like follow through on the seediness of that here. It's yeah. More of a magical play. It's not Deadwood style where it's just like <laughs> guys just pouring whiskey on a woman. It's like, come on, help me, help me do this. You bitch. You know, it doesn't really show like how sad prostitution really is. Yeah, and uh, Christian, he, he has fallen in love with a performer, which, you know, we'll find out. She is not, we're not at the Moulin Rouge yet. He's just here, he's just giving the backstory for it. Also, they hear he, uh, what's the name, uh, Seidler? The guy who owns, yeah, Harold Seidler, or is it Ziedler? Ziedler, Seidler, something like that. Um, here Jim, he's kind of like talking Zidler, about him. Yeah, Jim Broadbin is who it is. But uh, Yeah, well, we don't see him yet, but the well, I think we see a flash of him, but here it's he's he almost presents Ziedler as like a villain, although in the rest of the movie he's not really a villain. He's just kind of like the guy who has to bring bad news to everybody. It's like, hey, we're all having fun here, but this is a business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where the villain is really like the rich guy. So, so yeah, he's falling in love with a performer, and then we get a flashback where Christian first comes to Paris, and he talks about like the artists in Paris. Uh, as being like the children of the revolution and all of a sudden like people start breaking into his apartment including a dwarf Talo Latrec. how do you say his name this is John Leguizamo's character Toulouse-Lautrec Henri Toulouse. de Toulouse-Lautrec but I think you say Talou La Tre. Yeah, something, like, something that. like that. Like, well, yeah, with French names, you just, you basically just leave out the like, ah, uh, you just stop talking halfway through. You say one. Yeah. And there was like he he did have like John Leguizamo did have like a dwarf body double, but John Leguizamo had to like had like had like mini stilts on his knees, and then he had like blue screen or green screen, depending on the situation, like wrapped on wrapped on his legs. And so he's basically walking around on stilts on his knees to do this part. Uh, and I guess it, like it screwed up his like probably like hips and knees. They didn't say what it screwed up. But I imagine that's what it would screw up yeah. so that he had to be like in in physical therapy for like like a year after this movie to like repair all the stuff to do this role. So yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's commitment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's not just him too. like uh, uh, Nicole Kidman got hurt pretty badly. She, oh, yeah, she like busted broke ribs, ribs and uh, did something to her ankle, <laughs> falling down the stairs. On because the <laughs> sets are just designed to look cool; they're not really practical. Yeah. So, but yeah, these are a bunch of artists that like break into his room, or like one guy falls in a room and he's like a narcoleptic and he's like their like lead actor, but like they can't use him because he's always falling asleep. Yeah, he only has a and his name is only known as the unconscious Argentinian. <laughs> Yeah, let me just say we'll start out. We've kind of introduced this, uh, the characters that we're going to know in the first scene. This movie starts out so frenetic, I almost didn't like it. I was like, oh, is everyone just going to act weird like this the whole time? Because <laughs> it's like so just like, because all this stuff's coming no. out, you're like, pow, 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 once it yeah, starts. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, am I going to? This is like kind of the craziness from the beginning of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Where it's very. Um, I don't know how you'd call it. It's just it's like a lot of things hyperkinetic. You. Yes, and yes. It's hard to it's it's hard to connect to like what's going on because things are just flying at you. Because I was trying to figure out like because we'll have a thing later on where you have to pick a scene, and I was like, okay, I'll pick this scene, and I rewatched the scene. I was like, this scene, quote unquote, is like fifteen minutes long because it doesn't really stop and things keep happening. Right. Right. <laughs> 
Uh, but you know that kind of is like the uh, the energy that Baz Luhrmann brings to movies is just like, just like a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, but it it changes kind of. I mean, well, once we get into the singing and the musical yeah, yeah. aspect of it, then it becomes like, oh, okay, I like this a little bit more than this frenetic. Like everyone's like, like acting like a Looney Tune character. Is like, oh, yeah, okay. This is all the introduction, so like I don't know how much like you know, this would have made more sense if they gave it more time, but like they didn't give it any time. So, but they're still going to give you all the information. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but yeah, there's a bunch of artists that like fall into his room and they're like looking, they're putting on a play for like potential financiers, uh, which I guess that's why they're in Paris. It's like we're just trying to find rubes to put on our dreams. <laughs> we need Patreons. <laughs> yeah, this is the yeah, this is Patreons for the bohemians in you know 1890s <laughs> paris 1890s is an amazing time to study all around the world but paris was like kind of the center of art and culture at that time but it it was literally like a lot of people were like this is the end of history it's so funny <laughs> to read about the things that are written at that time and how people feel it's like we have solved all the problems technology <laughs> can't get any better war is a thing of the past the you know the economics will dictate how things are parsed out in the future the markets will determine it i mean we've heard all this before and we've heard yeah. it all again but it's really amazing like this whole movement See, this is what comes after a time of, like, extreme horror and violence is like, oh, it's the end of history. Just like kind of like, you know, you had World War II, and then after that you had, like, our parents went through, like, the, the, the sexual revolution and the peace movement and all that. It's like, yeah, these kind of movements, these are the same type of people, just they're drinking absinthe and using morphine instead of weed. <laughs> um, yeah, 1890s are a fascinating time to, to, to read about in Europe. Because the optimism is, it's like, it will break your heart. How, <laughs> because you know what's going to happen in the next 130 years. And it's yeah. like, they really thought, like, that we have reached the top of the mountain, and it's good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> oh. But then again, when, when was the Eiffel Tower built? Uh, I was, they were starting it. Uh, I think it was, like, in this time, it was being built. Okay. It was like the it was for the World's Fair. Um, because remember the next World Fair. Remember that book we read, Demon in the White City. Yeah. That was the World's Fair after the Eiffel Tower. Oh, okay. And so yeah, this it was the largest. Yeah, because that guy had built the Ferris wheel to try to out Eiffel Eiffel. That was yeah. the thing in the book. <laughs> yeah, because it was literally the largest man-made structure in the world at that time was the Eiffel Tower, like what they were building right there. But that's actually not true because the Brooklyn Bridge was more extensive. But that wasn't a freestanding structure so it goes back and forth but yeah <laughs> 1890s is an amazing time to read about that's why if you wonder why i'm a pessimist it's like well because the 1890s <laughs> <It's>, uh, yeah <laughs> christian kind of gets like like brought into the room and they're kind of like working on something and they just like happen upon the hills are alive with the sound of music which again, this is kind of the first thing where it's like you either have to go with the movie or not. Because the weird thing about this movie, it's like, all right, it's 1900 Paris, but it's like, wait, why are modern songs popping up? And yeah, it's, it's like, anachronistic it's just music, man. It's it's always been there. Yeah. <laughs> all this has happened before, and all this has happened again. Remember, remember, Battlestar fans, this is this is it. <laughs> um, which is one of the reasons why I never watched I. 
I think I watched one scene from this movie once, and they had they had Nirvana pop up, and I'm like, that's kind of fun. And then like a minute later, I was like, this is stupid. And never watched it again. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, waiting so, yeah. to hear like, are they gonna do this corrosion by Sisters of Mercy? I mean, are we? <laughs> is it gonna get how straight? Because it'll be so appropriate for this. <laughs> but they didn't. Well, it's just like when wow. they did that in uh, in Westworld. You know, yeah. when it's this player piano and it's it's all the Nine Inch Nails song. It's like, that's cool initially. And then it's like, all right, I get it. You're the smart kids. Right, right, right. You're the gifted and talented class. Cool. Do this cool stuff. But in this movie, the anachronistic music choices are kind of cool. Because a lot of people yeah. would be like, don't know shit about shit. Be like, did the sound of music come out then? You know, it's like, no, it totally didn't. It was like many, many decades later. It's like did nirvana steal the song from the french yeah they did that was the irony of kurt cobain was he was to stole all these songs from french bohemians in the eight i mean you can just create this whole conspiracy around it and yeah, people yeah. Would be like oh yeah that's a good good thought yeah and i guess the reason like the reason they gave in the commentary is why they just basically use modern music is that christian is supposed to be like this outstanding poet Mm-hmm. And basically, they didn't trust themselves to write outstanding poetry a la music. So there's like, well, let's just use music we like and just and play it off as this, this is how great of a poet that Christian is. And it works. It, this makes this one in particular great. There's other musicals I like, like Les Mis and stuff. It's like, that's all house written music for purpose yeah. built. That's what makes this one stand out is the anachronistic music choices, which it's cool. It keeps me involved. Like, oh, what yeah, are they yeah. going to do next? You know, it's like from the age of disco or whatever. Like, this is cool. <laughs> and I know I look, I'm not a big fan of musicals. I'll be completely honest with you. There's like two I like. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I can't even say, really say I, I like this one, but with all musicals, I like the energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just like, but it's always like you have to buy the conceit, and I just never, I just never, what do they call that? The suspension of disbelief. I right. never get over it. <laughs> yeah, see, I just kind of went with it because the story itself was explicitly designed just to be this paper thin love story. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is just Romeo and Juliet part two, <laughs> which that works great because all the dialogue in this is written in Shakespearean pentameter. I noticed that. Whenever anyone oh, talks, okay. no. it's all Shakespearean dialect dialogue. It's not written by Shakespeare, but it follows that same kind of sing songy, uh, you know, it doesn't use like the old English and stuff, but yeah, it's all, and that's what they did. It's like, this is about oh, the music. The I song. guess I didn't think like, yeah. like this whole production crew, it's like, that's kind of like their house styles. Cause yeah. like with the Romeo and Juliet, it's like, well, we're just using, we're just using Shakespeare's words. We're not rewriting them. We're just kind of remixing them. So here they're literally doing the same thing. I mean, I don't know if they mentioned that on the commentary. I could be full of shit, but I think I'm recognizing that because yeah, yeah. I was always really into Shakespeare. So it's like, oh, this is <laughs> this is this is that dialogue. Okay. Well, I was trying to think. It's like, all right, what make me buy a musical? Like, I don't, I, actually, the thing I thought of that would actually help me more is that like, I don't like that everyone is singing and dancing. I would like more representation of the band that's playing the music. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Instead of just the conductor who's like this and kind of looking around, like what the hell's going on? Yeah, the music. Yeah, the music's got to come from somewhere for the people to sing, dance to. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was thinking of is, is like you add the sci-fi conceit of like some planet with like a demigod-like machine 
that that needs to keep people happy but because it's a machine it doesn't actually know what makes people happy and so people will just suddenly break into song to appease the machine to make them think that make the machine think that they're happy when they're not yeah it's like that would be a cool musical and then i'll buy spontaneous singing yeah yeah that's the one thing like you kind of you have to put yourself in a different gear in your head because people just spontaneously singing it's like that's weird like when um (laughs) when mr robot would do that it was always like oh this is totally strange but because we're going to switch gears and go back to a regular story it's like i kind of like this where it was when the want, whole movie's well, like that, it's a little like, huh? I well, I don't know. This it's the switching gears that doesn't that gets me to like kind of fall off the tracks because I love music videos. Uh huh. If this was just a music video, you'd buy all the dancing and singing, but because sometimes it stops and does a thing, it's like kind of weird. But being that this movie is about putting on a production, the idea of in between the production, people are singing and dancing, isn't a problem. It's yeah. like this is what they're doing, <laughs> right? Anyway, so uh, it's it's suggested that Audrey, played by David Wyndham, who I think is supposed to be, I'm not sure if you call it a trans character, I'm not sure, but, you know, it's a guy seemingly in women's clothing and makeup. But the guy who put That <laughs> was a thing character. back then to be shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, also, the, the, I thought it was funny because the guy who's playing this part, he's like, uh, he's like Faramir, in, who I don't know that is, but you'll know it is from Lord of the Rings. Yeah like Baromir's brother or something yep. like that. I'm not sure. Uh, and also he's like, he's like the, the eye patch guy in 300 that they leave behind to tell the story. Oh, the okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I, that guy, so, I remember more cause he had the eye patch. I mean, Faramir, I knew who he was, but. <laughs> um, thus ends the reign of the Nethor steward of God. <laughs> <laughs> he just runs off the building on fire. Like that's cool. Your dad died. <laughs> he just immolated himself. <laughs> um, so it suggested that Audrey and Christian like write together because Christian just suddenly came up with this. The hills are alive with the sound of music. And they're like, oh, that's that's genius. But Audrey doesn't want to do that. So then they just disappear from the movie. Forever. Yeah. Just I was waiting to see, like, what's the conflict? And it's nope. <laughs> so long. Also, somebody touches Christian's crotch for just like a moment. <laughs> yeah, that's the unconscious Argentinian. Oh, okay. <laughs> he is a great man. I can feel it. And then he pulls his hand away like, oh, sorry. Uh, and then they, they're they they're all called like the Bohemians, which I always, what does that necessarily word, that word mean? Is that just like free spirits or what does being Bohemian mean? Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know it in like the, uh, like the beatnik movement of the 50s. It's just people that live a weird lifestyle. Um, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, writing music just art artsy stuff and usually okay. they're people that are educated like that studied art in college but then they want to do like all that shit i learned in college i'm going to do something completely unconventional because every generation <laughs> thinks they're going to reinvent this wheel and so they always come up with something but it's always like yeah you're still playing musical instruments and singing dude you know it's just like just like all written works are stolen from shakespeare because like everything that he did that's the, how the stories you tell in the western tradition but yeah no bohemians at this time uh, were were people that like just kind of like vagabonds uh but people that weren't of one art they were like there was musicians there were playwrights there were journalists uh painters uh, but it was always like 
wrapped up in like ant, you know, f the man, or back then they'd call it like anti-establishment. And of course, okay. a lot of sex, a lot of easy sex, because every generation <laughs> thinks we're the first ones, um, and they never are. They do shots of absence, and then a magic green fairy appears. It's Kylie Minogue, but it's also like cross voice with Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it was like, huh. I guess the original design was almost like a monster fairy that was going to be just voiced by Ozzy Osbourne, but then they switched to the Kylie Minogue. Is she British or is she also Australian? <laughs> I think she's Australian. Okay. Uh, she was like a pop singer for like a while there, right? Yeah. In the 80s, and then she became like an actor in the 90s. And she does stuff with KMFDM every once in a while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a good representation of absinthe, too. <laughs> I've had it once. Nope. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. They get green eyes, and the a fairy appears, and they just start seeing a bunch of stuff. Well, it's just uh, all it is is it's high test alcohol. I mean, my take on absinthe is it's because uh, you can you could buy it here in Michigan like two years before you could buy it anywhere else in the U.S. legally because of Canada. It's like, oh yeah, you can bring that down here. It's just high test alcohol with weird herbs mixed in with it. And you basically have to cut it with water because it's it's like just like Everclear <laughs> with with like with like bitter herbs, uh, <laughs> it, it, like wormwood and and uh, I forget what the other ones were. Is it dyed green or is that just the kind of thing that's that they the talk Czechoslovakian about? stuff is? I didn't have access to that. I think I think I was Marilyn Manson's absence anyway i bought a bottle i tried it or is it just like nicknamed the green fairy and then yeah people always just like dye it green in movies to like color coordinate with your imagination yeah it was just it was a darker amber color though kind of okay i'm not sure if i had the best kind but all it did was make my <laughs> stomach upset and of course i was but, drunk but it's like well i can do that with i don't need to pay 90 dollars <laughs> a bottle for that experience but the magic green fairy appears and then like a kind of trick everything kind of turns into like a a rock remix musical mixed with the sound of music. Yeah. And then we get Harold Ziedler played by Jim Broadbent, who's fantastic in this role. Yeah, he's absolutely. Like the, he's over like the, the top. Which is it was crazy because usually he plays like just kind of like cherubic like government workers and a lot of British stuff. Yeah, and here's yeah, yeah. like a character, <laughs> like a live character. And, and, and they talk about his diamond dogs, which is like a bunch of white lady dancers that were kind of like uh, of different ethnic backgrounds and just kind of like look kind of dangerous looking and sexy at the same time. But has nothing to do with the rest of the movies. I don't know. Uh, what's the origin of diamond dogs? It has so many. It gets brought up in many different things and has a bunch of different meanings. Like, what's the origination with that? I actually don't know. I only know it from the Alistair Reynolds short story. Yeah, but there's like a ton of things where it's like they get things get called diamond dogs, and I don't know like what the origin of that is. So I didn't know if you'd have, like you're much more red than I am, at least. So I didn't know if you could pull that off the top of your head. But that's I know it's a David Bowie album, huh? Okay. But that's about it. And because I think I thought that's because I remember I read that because I thought that's where Alistair Reynolds got the you know because what was that book of short stories, Diamond Dogs and Turquoise Days. Yeah, but yeah, as far as anything else, I don't know what the reference is. I remember <laughs> hearing it, and I'm thinking, oh, are they talking about because they use the David Bowie songs in here? Are they talking about David Bowie album? But oh, maybe, huh? Could be. So yeah, Christian must perform before them, the Diamond Dogs and Ziedler, 
And then we have a remix of Lady Marmalada plays. Uh, and this is the Christina Aguilera, Lil Kim, and Maya and Pink version of the song, which is a they they put that out as a music video around this time. It was pretty big, yeah, because uh, they were also all big so at the time. So biggest like, selling huh. single in two thousand one. <laughs> I guess that song's very hard to perform too, huh? Because um, first of all, you're singing in another language for a lot of it. <laughs> uh, and the way the how do they describe it like the way the lyrics like come together you're like almost singing over each other but you have to do it in yeah. a certain way so you don't cancel each other out and it's like hmm. but here they switch the lyrics on because in the original it's like in new orleans and here they switch it to the moulin rouge so. yeah uh which works because the, the original is basically about like a like they uh, brothel as well is it just a brothel in new orleans or something i actually don't know <laughs> um and then of course mix in some nirvana here nirvana is used that they use a lot of like here we are now entertain us and that's like the crowd basically challenging the performers to entertain them but they're just using the nirvana song to just do it literally <laughs> um which is kind of interesting and then, like, every, and then the moment, like, uh, so, like, they're in the Moulin Rouge at this time, and it's just, like, hundreds of people, everyone's in, and dressed nicely and dancing around, and there's, like, people get mo their moments. And then everything, everybody shuts up, and everything, time slows down, essentially. Not really, literally, but uh, for Satine, who's played by Nicole Kidman, they have uh, Christian and the Duke, played by Richard Roxburgh. He's, like, the main villain of this. He's just the guy with money. They both immediately fall in love with her. Uh, she puts on a number, uh, song number of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. They also like throw in Material Girl in there because like just all music just gets thrown. In. It's just a big remix factory. It's like, a, yeah, that's one uh, of the things that impressed me is like merge the lyrics of all this stuff. <laughs> uh, Satine does some crowd surfing. Also, in the the commentary they're talking about like, like they they have a lot of blue light in this. Uh, and because Nicole Kidman's so pale, it actually just makes her more contrast. And so she just stands out even more. It's like, it's like, see, it's okay to be completely pale. You can make it in Hollywood. <laughs> they also said that's like the way they used to light people in like, you know, like the twenties or whatever. Yeah. Uh, back when it was black and white. So like it made more sense uh, to make people pop more if you had pale skin. Oh, okay. And here there's some confusion between Satine and Ziedler about who the investor is. Because Ziedler is like looking at the Duke and it's like, yeah, it's that guy. But then Satine keeps seeing Christian and thinking that they're talking about him. Um, and basically it's like, yeah, you got to sleep with that guy so we can get money for, for the Moulin Rouge or whatever. And she's like, all right. <laughs> so then Satine picks out Christian to like dance with because she thinks he's the duke so then there's just like a large group dance sequence it's like a bit more slower and then it, it kind of reaches a crescendo and then like top hats are ejaculated into the air yes <laughs> good way to describe it uh and then like satine ends up on like on a giant swing and then she faints and this is not a part of the show <laughs> and she falls into the one black guy's arms who they call the chocolates. Yeah, the chocolate. <laughs> and, and then Ziedler plays it off as if it's like the part of the, of the show. And then then later in the back, she's like awoken by s smelling salts and then she starts coughing up blood. Uh, so I have that being the end of Act 1. 
Yep. We've introduced the Moulin Rouge with the plot points, like this love story, and also she's dying. <laughs> so end of act one. Oh, the holdout songs were the Rolling Stones and Cat Stevens. Oh, okay. Cat Stevens had religious reasons. I think the Rolling Stones just wanted too much money. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> Cat Stevens now doesn't support boozing or prostitution or anything. I think he's like Muslim <laughs> or something now. Even though this movie probably has like the tamest prostitution in Hollywood. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, have a, it's the cleanest I mean, have a prostitute bu- since The Pretty Woman. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like if you watch Pretty Woman, it's like, oh, I want to be a prostitute. It's like, no, no. It's not really what it's like. Because even like they have a bunch of like technically upskirt shots because like all the women have like bedazzled like long skirts and then like you know they'll they'll fling them up and flash the audience but they basically have like I don't know what's the equivalent of like four diapers on underneath oh, with frills yeah. on them yeah <laughs> oh, what are those called yeah I know what you're talking about um I mean it was just underwear that's elaborate but it was like it wasn't even like you know it was, you know it was still like it was even like more than a bathing suit. So it's not really like that, <laughs> but this movie's not really about like that much titillation. It's kind of, I mean, you're like, was it BG 13? That's kind of what it feels like, but, um, let's see what I got right here. Let's see. What was this rated? <laughs> rated? Oh, PG. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I got two ratings here. I got a PG and a G. I don't know where it was rated G. I don't think this is a Not G in America. Because <laughs> if people are drinking and stuff in it, like it, that doesn't get you a G rating. Maybe oh, it's weird. maybe they thought it was like Kool Aid. They didn't know what it was. Like, oh, they're drinking green <laughs> Kool Aid. and They're all wigged out of their minds. <laughs> Let's see our intimate movie. Anybody says about the rating? I just need to know that real quick. What was their aim? PG-13. PG-13. Yeah, it seems fine. Yeah, it's like I don't remember any swearing or anything like that, and obviously no nudity, so. So then we have, as we start Act 2, we have Satine is being, like, having a, a, a corset crushed onto her because <laughs> uh, she's expected to sleep with the Duke, so she's got to be at her best, I guess, by having her stomach crushed to nothing. Yeah, even though she has, like, tuberculosis and it's killing yeah. her. Ah, like, <laughs> oh, sexy, sexy tuberculosis. <laughs> And it also seems like Nicole Kidman got like extra skinny for this role anyway. So yeah, like, oh yeah. But if you're gonna be wearing those costumes, gotta be skinny as hell. <laughs> um, well, I gotta remember, like French women, I th- I think the standard size over there is like two to zero. Like that's just <laughs> again, it's that whole cigarette and cheese diet. It really works for. Yeah. Them. <laughs> and they just don't eat a whole lot either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, smoking does a thing to your your. You don't want to eat too much when you're smoking. So that never worked for me, but you know, <laughs> I just powered through it. I was like, ah, tacos. Give me a cigarette. <laughs> some tacos. That's why I went uh, to so the if... ripe old age of fifty. Uh, <laughs> uh Christian and Satine are in her private room, which is an elephant. Yeah. Uh which, which was a real thing. Uh it was it you... was a really a sixty foot elephant. Yes. And when they did these scenes, they had to have like a special cable attached to them, so in case they fell. Yep. <laughs> yes, and the real elephant, you could pay a franc and go in there and smoke uh, opium and watch the show from inside the <laughs> elephant. Which I was like, I would pay a franc to go into an elephant and smoke dope <laughs> or opium or whatever, whatever that is. 
Uh, there's like a comical miscommunication about like what is expected of each other because he he thinks like, oh well, I get the chance to perform my play for you, and she's like, are we gonna have sex? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also he's like, it's like you know they're talking about two different things. It's like yeah, you know, he's like, I have this poem. It's really long, and she's like, oh good, it's long. <laughs> yeah. I want to try it in a new way. It might be, <laughs> it might be uh, disrupting to you at first, but I'm a modern man or something. Yeah. It's like they're talking about two separate things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she grabs his crotch and throws him in bed. And then they're, they kind of like writhe around and, and like she's on top of him. And I'm like, are they having sex? But no, they're just kind of weirdly grinding. Yeah. They have about 15 minutes of clothes to take off before they can actually have sex. Because <laughs> yeah. they're wearing like, might as well be wearing suits of armor for as elaborate as their clothes are. Uh, then he finds his inspiration and breaks out into song. And like, I wrote, what is this song? And it's Your Song by Elton John. Yep. Uh, and and uh, I believe almost like 90% or whatever it, of the singing is done by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman when it's them. So, Which is amazing because uh, I heard, this is a story from Baz Luhrmann and um, Leonardo DiCaprio. He wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to do this. And so they brought in Leonardo DiCaprio and a piano player, and they're like, sing a song. And I forget which one it was. And they both were like, nope, this ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> because Leonardo DiCaprio cannot sing. Because <laughs> they wanted to do it. He was like, this would be cool. And it's like, no, nah, I'm afraid this isn't going to work. <laughs> this is going to be too much work. This is already way too much work. Yeah. I guess he could just cannot sing. And he even admits it. He's like, yeah, yeah I can't. Yeah. It's, it's a, me over. It's Ewan like, McGregor is, is a very talented actor that he can sing like that. Yeah. Especially because his normal speaking voice is like that mouth of marble <laughs> Scottish accent. That, that's like, <laughs> oh, this guy can sing beautifully, but he talks like he's got got a bunch of rocks in his mouth normally. I don't know. That's kind of a thing with British people where like they're in, they're in, they're in, unintelligible, especially like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. But then they're singing and you can understand them. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when they sing, they don't have an accent. It's like, that's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's super weird. I remember thinking, I always thought Green Day was British because oh yeah, he basically sings in a British accent like they're a British pop band. It's like, nah, he's just a dude from Southern California. <laughs> yep. He, just, he was a big fan of uh, what was punk, probably into the Sex Pistols. And, and just like, yeah. that's how he sings because he's like, listen to a bunch of British guys jamming out the punk and he's like oh okay this is how you sing uh and that was the thing, same thing with ministry because he sang like a with basically like a british accent for yep. like you know his early career because he was like well that's what they do <laughs> and then and then he basically like all right let's 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 roll up the garbage let's roll up the like the marble mouth glass and asphalt machine and just sing and garbled my music i'm gonna sing in my voice after i gargle <laughs> with uh you know acid <laughs> and it's gonna sound cool and then of course the same thing yeah, with their british bands that like they basically sing in an american accent too um and there's like that it'll pop up on reddit every now and then about like the uh there's like this italian musician uh, who basically made a challenge where he's like, man, I bet if you just make a music with a tune and sing with an American accent, but the words are unintelligible, the Italians will put it at number one. And of oh. course, that's exactly what happened. It was considered one of the first like call and repeat like rap songs. They played that song in, um, I think it was the second season of Fargo, or maybe the third <laughs> season. It's it's like called 
Pizancola and Antonanchuzo or whatever. But <laughs> he made it because he didn't speak English, but he thought that sounded like English. He spoke Italian. And yeah, it's actually a, a weird song because it's like him singing to a crowd of people or a group of people in a room, and then they're singing back, saying the same things. And it's all gibberish. Yeah. But to Italians, <laughs> it sounds like English. And it's like, oh, this is cool. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it also has a really cool music video. Where it's like, wait, this is because it was like, I don't know, like the 60s or something like that. It's like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> it's like, you fooled me too, because this mu- this music is good. The, I know the words are unintelligible, but this is a cool music video and the beat is good. <laughs> Actually, Ewan McGregor was in that one. That, that <laughs> season, he played two different people. <laughs> I'm so gonna yeah, find it. A... Yes, hold on. This it's uh, yeah. Now that we're talking about it, I can't play it, of course, because you know, <laughs> why? But Nathan will give you the words to search Google. <laughs> yes, Prison Cole Leanne in Anculzo by Adriano Celentino, <laughs> and it says lyrics, and it's just gibberish. <laughs> Indy call Min Sivan. Freezing. Yeah, I guess you have to speak Italian to actually say this, but it's not Italian either. It's just gibberish. No, because he's singing it in like an American accent. Yeah, it's gibberish. It's, he basically it's, sounds like he sounds like. Uh, oh crap! Who's who's the guy who used to be a folk singer and then went uh, electric? Oh, there's a couple. Uh, like Bob Dylan or something. Yeah, he sounds like Bob Dylan. He sounds like he's doing a Bob Dylan impression when he sings this song. <laughs> it's called the Italian English gibberish song. Like if you just look that up, <laughs> that's what comes in. And it's also con- interestingly considered one of the first uh, call and repeat. Uh, like uh, they don't call it like hip hop, but it's like that's what kind of a hip hop song. Came out in 1972. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a really weird. Yeah, it's a weird thing. But anyway, let's hurry. We got like 20 minutes and I got to go. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a singing moon. The Bohemians are like staring in on them and like, are they going to have sex? Like, let's look harder. Let's will it into existence. <laughs> uh, Satine finds out Christian is just a writer and not the, not the Duke. So she gets mad. And then the real Duke shows up. And so she hides Christian away. And awkwardly, he like she, she's like trying to distract the Duke while seducing him and so she makes the duke fall in love with with her by using the lyrics uh from spectacular spectacular i'm not sure what that is that's like a thing in this movie well that's Uh, the uh thing that they're trying to produce okay but she's actually like yeah she's singing uh oh i forget it's kind of or is she or is she reusing like the words that that uh christian was yeah she's reusing his words Okay. Yeah. So there's there's it's the sound of music again, essentially. Okay. Well, there's also stuff from the your song, the Elton John song yeah. in there too, I think. Uh she so she kicks the Duke out and then she has another fainting spell and Christian's there, so the Duke comes back in and he's like, Foul play and then they're just like, Oh wait, no, we're just putting uh we're doing practice for our play. We want to sell it to you. <laughs> oh yeah, I wrote Christian has to weaken that Bernie Satine because she's like passed out and he's like holding her like taking her around and like trying to like make her seem alive and then the the, the bohemians pop in and like to kind of like play on the ruse about it being a rehearsal and then christian improvs a pitch meeting to like the duke and it's basically what's happening around them it's like what's happening but they just put it into a different kind of thing it's almost like the 
the thing from uh, The Usual Suspects where he's just like making stuff up with stuff around the room. Oh, yeah. Like he's like, like the quartet dry erase board. <laughs> I was in a barber barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois. Was, you know, like that. Uh, the Duke buys the pitch. Uh, we cut to Christian is off to write the play, but he's too distracted by like the possibility of being loved by Satine because she's kind of rebuked him, but then she's kind of like enthralled by him too. Uh, Satine performs uh, one day off fly away. Yes. Uh, which is <laughs> written by Randy Crawford, who is a woman. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of a woman named Randy, but yeah, it's maybe with an I, who knows? Ah, uh, no, it's with a Y. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> oh, so, uh, Stacy's like, uh, what do you call it? Stepsister? Yeah, her name's Randy, but it is with an I. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Uh, Christian uh, shows up to, to thank her and to, to test whether like their love is real. They, they trade things back and forth. It's like, you can't live without love. Uh, you can't live. <laughs> you can't live in the streets either, she says. And they like trade like back and forth, like basically lyrics with love in it. You know, like love is all you need and stuff like that. And she's saying stuff where it's like, no, love is a bad thing. Cause she's basically like, I just need money to live. I don't really need love right now. So that's her dilemma. It's like, yeah, love is great, but living on the streets is terrible. You know? <laughs> uh, and then she says, you're going to be bad for business. I can already tell. Uh, then we flash, flash forward a Christian with a beard and alcohol. He keeps writing. We flash back and the Duke forces a contract on Zeller and demands that Satine be exclusive to him. So basically, he's just signing like a sex contract. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, we have a montage of Satine and Christian kind of like making their relationship only exist during rehearsals, but they're clearly having sex and stuff like that, which is pretty dangerous, being that she has a, a, uh... <laughs> yeah, a communicable wasting disease. <laughs> I understand sex is good, but is it that good? <laughs> He just has a way better immune system. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. Uh, can I was thinking about that, too. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's, what, it's just doggy style? I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know how they're doing this or why. Z uh, Zither confronts Satine about her relationship with Christian and tells her to call it off just basically because it's like, because basically uh, that contract makes it like, you know, it's like if Satine falls for anybody else or is with anybody else, then it's over. And then, like. Yeah, because he owns the, the holds the deed to the Moulin Rouge now. Yeah, yeah. That was like the stake of of rebuilding it to make this play it was like, well, I, I get her and I get to hold the rights to this place because you know I'm spending all my Duke of Monmouth money to you know, <laughs> put on this play so I can have sex with this prostitute, which I'm a Duke and I have millions of dollars. I can have sex with the best prostitute in Paris, but for some reason, this is the only one for me. Yeah. Um, also, Satine a prostitute has a... that doesn't have a, a degenerative wasting illness. <laughs> yeah. But okay, don't uh, look Satine... too deeply into you know. Yeah. It's more about the idea, not the the idea. Yeah. Uh, what's actually happening? Uh, Satine has another blood coughing and fainting spell. Zeller covers for her, saying that she's like confessing her sins and like working in. And he's working in like a virgin lyrics. Yes. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> weird. Uh, so see, yeah, so Steve's dying of consumption, uh, which she said is like tuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, she breaks up with Christian for various reasons, but blames it on like needing to keep the Duke happy. We have a montage of rehearsals where Christian is trying to like woo her back. The Duke is clued in on the similarities between like the sitar play. Oh yeah. Cause like the whole play they're making up, they make it, it's like, oh, it's about like India and there's the, like, uh, 
what's it called? Majara, what are they called? Maharaja. Maharaja and then like a sitar player. It's basically it's just it's the Duke and him as a writer, but they just like cover it up with the new which really which is because like this movie was inspired by them going to Bollywood and being like, yes. wow, this stuff is crazy and doesn't make any sense, but we love the energy. And so they made the same thing and didn't involve anybody from India no. in this movie. No. Well, because Baz Luhrmann said, could like Western audiences get into something with this much song and dance, but also with a dramatic story? Yeah. yeah. Where it wasn't just like, well, I mean, because it's, this is a musical, but it's it's really different from a lot of them. But no, what I'm saying is, like, if I wanted to be, like, super woke, it's like, why are we all having all the white people play all the Indian roles? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I'm pretty sure they probably weren't concerned about at the time. So, <laughs> you know, 9-11, just around the corner, not things we're concerned with. Yeah, I think it was a different. We were heading into, again, the end of history was about <laughs> to, like, change again, so. <laughs> plus if you ever saw, like there's a theater around here that shows bollywood movies yeah, yeah and it's like showtime five hours and six minutes like what yeah. so movies like five hours long it's like holy oh, yeah, crap yeah. uh and it's uh, like they have like full like catering trucks outside so <laughs> i've almost thought of going to one and just like just like eating the food watching the yeah. movie not having a guy like hey because most indian people are really cool and engaging or a lot of them i found to be can you explain <laughs> this to me i'll buy your ticket let's just talk about this the whole time and they'd probably be glad to do it well um, i've been meaning to watch that rrr movie which i just hear nothing but great things about and it's just a crazy hindi movie with super large action sequence I, it probably has a musical sequence i don't know but like is that the, the robot one no 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 okay this, this is why it's a Netflix like release movie, and it's just like the action scenes from it are incredible. Okay, <laughs> they are magical. <laughs> uh, and it's like a three hour movie too, and I just I, I've heard nothing but great things about it. It is in Hindi, but um, well, I got subtitles, yeah. and also it's larger than an action movie, so you can get over it. So. Oh, I like the I've, I've watched all the Indian like murder movies and police shows on Netflix. <laughs> I have watched those with rapt fascination, and I don't know why. Because it's just something <laughs> it's so different and so similar. Yeah. Because it's like, well, this is obviously completely alien culture to what I understand, but they're also like they're doing the same things we're doing. It's just yeah. they're doing it in an Indian way, which is kind of interesting because, like, their ideas about crime or stuff is, like, first it's unthinkable that anyone would do this, and you got to get past all that. And then a guy <laughs> shows up who's like, yeah, I'm really smart, and I know why people do this, but you got to accept the fact that people do this. It doesn't just happen in movies from America or the U.K. It's like, this can really happen here. And then everyone slowly kind of accepts, like, okay, we're going to follow this guy. Meanwhile, like six other people have been killed. It's like if we had just got through this initial bullshit part, we could have been on the case, which is also a sadness in the story. It's like, wow, this is cool. But then again, um, they don't do interpersonal like stories very well. Like, what's this guy's relationship with his wife? It's like, well, he hits her. It's like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, okay. It's different. So, yeah, the Duke's clued on the similarities between the play and, and him. And so the Duke makes changes to the play so that. Satine's character falls for the Ma Majra Maharaja <laughs> Ma Maharaja yeah over the Pinius sitar player uh, and so the Satine woos the Duke in real life to keep things as they are 
Uh, Teen goes to sleep with the Duke. A version of Roxanne is used as a parallel. Yes. Uh, and the pitfalls of dating a sex worker. Roxanne, uh, a... <laughs> you made a you fool of me. <laughs> there's like a musical rape scene or something. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> but, but then La Chocolate shows up and he stops it. And so uh, La Chocolate brings Satine to Christian who confesses her love to him. Uh, the Duke makes an ultimatum that the ending, like that his ending must be used and that Christian uh, will be killed if he doesn't get what he wants. I like the uh, Amadeus then, vibes I got in this with the whole thing with the Duke changing the play because it very much reminded me of a movie we watched a few episodes ago, Amadeus. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah the rich, the Patreon guy is, <laughs> is controlling the, the art. <laughs> which which I imagine was probably some, being that the, you know, it's, it's a Hollywood movie, there's probably just some like, ah, we relate to this. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're repressed like this. It's like go back to my mansion with my built-in refrigerators <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and then Ziedler tells the team that she's dying, which probably she should know that, but yeah. already, but oh well. Why does the manager of the local whorehouse know? Like, <laughs> well, he would know a lot about diseases, you see, because he manages a whorehouse. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Uh, so we have Act Three. The show must go on. Satine tells Christian that he won't get what he wants, uh, and so it's time for the play. I was and hoping everyone... when they said the show must go on. We do like the Pink Floyd, the wall where they'd come out on stage. just eins, zwei, you know, and they start marching. Ooh, you'll never stop me now, but they didn't get any Pink for this. Yeah. I wrote, here I wrote, and thus a bunch of white people are playing Indians. Goodbye. Cruel world. It's over. Walk on by. Didn't happen. I'm just making up my own Moulin Rouge at this point. I am suddenly I've, uh, I'm suddenly blocked from all my Pink Floyd knowledge, so I can't join in on the phone. There's a very um, racist lyric in there, too, which I can't repeat because uh, yeah. I don't want to get thrown off. You, It's not, like, inward racist, but it's... Um, it's when he becomes the Nazi in the wall, there's a lot of stuff said <laughs> that's like, oh, wow, crazy. Uh, Christian, having been banned from the movie on Rouge, sneaks his way in to watch the performance. Christian and Satine end up playing, like, end up in the play before the audience, where, like, Christian's now playing the role of the, uh, that was the sitar, the original sitar player. Uh, Zither covers for it, saying, like, ah, it's in disguise. We all know who this is. And the audience is just like, oh, the audience is just loving this, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're completely enraptured in something they would have no (laughs) foreknowledge of, but, The Duke's hitman is like holds off on shooting Christian because now he's in front of the audience. Here we have like Christian giving up on love, and then Satine is like dying on stage. He's like walking out of the building. Uh, she's dying on stage and she's heartbroken. And then Talula True, the John Loguizamo, shouts, The greatest thing is to love and to be loved in return, which now gives Christian pause. Uh, and it's a whole thing because he's like, jumping across stuff to like grab a bell to ring it to yell this to the audience when he's like behind the scenes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh also there's a whole thing I missed, I guess, with this character where he's actually in love with Satine as well, but because of his situation, he just knows it's never gonna happen because he's a dwarf and that's just not in the cards for dwarves. Yeah. Um which I didn't really pick up on, but they said that in the commentary. I was like, oh wait, yeah. 
that's kind of why he's singing in the beginning of the movie because he wishes he was Christian, even though Christian is now sad because <laughs> he lost the love of his life. He's like, oh, I wish I could have lost love. That would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's what the bard says. Um, and then Sir Satin breaks out into song again to inspire Christian. And then he turns back and then Christian starts singing back. Uh, the hitman keeps trying to shoot Christian, but like the cast is like trying to keep the gun away from him. They keep kicking it around and stuff. And then the gun ends up near the Duke who takes it and like he goes to shoot Christian, but then Zeeler punches the Duke and the gun comically flies away and then like hits the, and now it's like the hits the, it hits the, um, conductor. No. no. Um, no, what's the tower? Now I've completely forgot what the tower is called. Eiffel Tower? Yeah, it's Eiffel Tower, but like, it's like, well, that gun would now have to be the size of a house to hit the Eiffel Tower and bounce off. It doesn't matter. It's a funny I mean, these guys are just... drinking absinthe, and it could have yeah, happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the play concludes the thunderous applause. Uh, then Satine has her last fainting spell of tuberculosis and dies in Christian's arms. And so, like, the curtain closes. And so, everyone, it's an interesting dynamic because the crowd is like, that was amazing. The Christian, the, the, the curtain closes. And now, everyone behind the curtain is like, she's dead. We're all sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, one side joy, one side. I mean, they got just rapturous standing applause. <laughs> and on the other side, everyone's like, Love has been lost forever. <laughs> yeah. And the Duke walks away angrily. We have uh, Toulouse, La True, sings in the windmill, and we're back to the beginning, and we're back to the, the present of this movie. Uh, and Christian finishes writing his story about love. Uh, the curtains close, and the conductor's back. Uh, and then the first credit is uh, dedicated to Baz Luhrmann's dad, who like died during production. Oh. So. Uh, and that is Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're in the mood for an uh, interesting musical with a lot of great music from the, you know, 70s, 80s, <laughs> um, you know, interspersed with, you know, a 90s with, with, you know, it's 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 fun to watch. Don't let the yeah. first 10 minutes like put you off, though. <laughs> I mean, I always like always have a hard time with musical. Like it was fine. But also I just remember like the. If you look at the critical response to this, like people love this movie, at least in Hollywood, and it got a lot of like Oscar attention too. It didn't win. I think like a beautiful mind like won the Oscar this yeah, year. Beautiful but, mind yeah. crushed it. Um but uh it was considered up for one of, it's it's considered one of the best movies of the twenty first century. <laughs> and if you're into musicals, it is. Yeah. Uh, and if you like this kind of entertainment, it is like the best thing. Go but see, this is before Mamma Mia and all that. So, no, it's like that's in terms of, of engagement. I think that's a little, little more approachable. But this was a this was a cool movie. Um, well, I think like a few years later, like this kind of brought it up because like then Chicago was like a big yes. critical and commercial successful hit too, and people kept kind of doing stuff like that. I'm not sure where it faltered. <laughs> Or if they just stopped doing it. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I, I know Mama Mia came out later, like you said, and that was a huge hit as well. That was like yeah. made billions of dollars. So I don't know. I guess they're keeping doing it. So. Well, the thing with doing like this, this was kind of a one and done just because what the rights to things cost now. Yeah. Because everyone, you know, everyone who has the rights to songs, it's usually management companies and they all think they're sitting on platinum. Yeah, and they want to charge you like you know. I remember when Adam Carolla was talking like ten years ago about licensing 
of a fairly obscure like jazz thing and it's like yeah i want to license this song for my you know five hundred thousand dollar movie it's like oh it's seventy thousand dollars to use it and he's like no you're crazy i just told you (laughs) sorry five hundred thousand dollar movie i cannot spend you know a quarter of the you know budget and everything (laughs) well that's what it goes for he's like okay you then i'm just gonna use a generic thing i'm gonna get some session musicians and that's what we're doing (laughs) so yeah it's i don't think because this isn't like this isn't what you call original content so yeah things like les mis mama mia stuff like that those are mostly songs written for that particular thing so you don't have to worry about buying the rights like i said cost more it took more time to get the rights to this than to make it and this is interesting behind the scenes stuff where you see like where baz Luhrmann just shot like the movie like with a handy cam it's like kind of like prep work yeah and, and you could see like the different states when like every you would see you mcgregor was like now he has long hair and now he's in like jean shorts because he was like doing different movies in between while doing so it's like yeah, i think he was oh, yeah, doing a star wars movie while this was going on yeah yeah probably um and he was very so, yeah, drunk was the whole time if you ask him so <laughs> but also it's like you can see why it's like oh yeah this is why cameras like because it was basically like these are the same exact shots and stuff but like a movie camera just does magic when you put the right lighting and all the stuff into it you can't just shoot a movie on a purse on a like a handy cam and have it look like a like a, a theatrical movie no, but. yeah there's a reason like cameras cost fifty thousand dollars for <laughs> for this kind of work uh, and I forgot to ask, like, do you have any personal history? Like, did you see this? In no, this is the first time I watched it. Okay, me was too. when I watched it today. I've never, <laughs> like I said, I don't do a lot of these. It's not really my genre. The yeah. only reason I like Les Mis so much is it's cool, and the songs mean something to me, especially the one where it's like there's got to be more than life to life than this. I was like, yeah, no sh-. I mean, I've felt <laughs> that way since I was nine. Uh, and it's also based on a book that I like uh so so like yeah musicals are kind of a strange animal to me because i'm not like happy go lucky yeah i'm more like the shining than musicals but it's like oh okay sometimes i I get it well they made this one musical called like repo the genetic opera yes which is just a weird sci-fi movie it's like oh maybe this will interest me because like the the situation is way different but I still didn't like it. So it's like, I guess I just don't like musicals. (laughs) It's not my genre, but yeah. um, I keep trying. There was that one Polish movie we watched about the mermaids. That one was really cool. So yeah. I I mean this, my still, my favorite, my go-to musical has always been Les Mis. I will. I want to see that one more time as a production before I die. So I got (laughs) to see it once in Chicago with the original American cast, which is cool. Uh, costs like five hundred dollars, and that's in <laughs> early '90s bucks. But I did get to see it. I do have all the songs on my playlist from from that. Uh, this was cool because it was modern music. Yeah, and I like the actors. I always like Ewan McGregor. I think Nicole Kidman's hot. Uh, <laughs> I remember her from Dead Calm to you know <laughs> to today, and it's she's always been fun to watch. She's like another one like a Sigourney Weaver. Like I always like these kind of women acting. Yeah, um, because they're not like conventionally beautiful, but they are at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. I enjoy watching that. Um, you know, and this this was cool. This is this isn't like I'm not going to watch this 20 more times, but I don't <laughs> regret watching it. Yeah. So. Uh, and then we have a new segment for the show, which I wrote as a Hail Mary probe, but I don't know. Nathan said like it's the we're sending out the Voyager probe. Voyager <laughs> must merge with the oh, creator. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna put that drop in, but I figured we'd get like hacked. So yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, I'm just gonna say it badly. 
I'm going to do Perseus Combata dialogue badly. Um, uh, the conceit is we're sending a probe into space containing a supercut of scenes from the imperfect collection of the movies that is the Verhoeven effect. Yeah. We get one scene to send into the supercut. Uh, and they won't and they won't necessarily be seen in the order that they are produced like they're broadcasting so they could be seen in any order <laughs> so you have to keep that in mind is like whether what scene you're going to send out there and what scene will precede it or maybe come up or where it might show up so it doesn't have to have necessarily have context although you also have to know that all context for the scene will be lost because that is the only part of the movie you're getting yeah once <laughs> this is it so you gotta I, and i read that as you gotta explain the movie in one scene <laughs> which is why uh, i chose the uh uh the you know the the your song uh the, like the you know the one where they're in the elephant the elephant yep. yeah. <laughs> and like okay. i said i was gonna play it but i can't because uh, <laughs> elton john will sue us but um that's to me that describes this movie perfectly because it's about you know this is my gift my love to you i've never experienced love i want love and of course she's like offering the counter counter coup to that which explains this whole movie that's all you need to know about this movie this guy's never experienced love he's has romanticized views about love he's offering his love uh un unabashedly with no limitations with no safeguards he's, he's not using his tor browser with his love he's he's like putting it out there you know exactly what i am and it's going to end in sadness and horror and he's going to be a drunk so if i had to pick a scene from the movie that de demonstrated that that would be it all right that's my logic was, yeah well that's more than i thought so we're gonna throw that one in there because i was just gonna pick the the first moulin rouge scene where they're singing like from nirvana and stuff like that because it's just the most bombastic and and crazy and then um visually interesting part of the movie and i like the energy there but i don't have any kind of other logic i don't have the kind of care and logic that you put into it so we're throwing the the uh your what's that your song yes scene? your song scene in there the, right. my gift my gift to you is is my song my <laughs> song is a gift to you or something like that yeah like i said i can't play it god damn i'd get it right <laughs> if i could but oh yeah because we know we're gonna make millions of dollars off elton john by doing this <laughs> podcast so but yeah uh, but that's so only that's like I, that's only based on like oh i want to explain this movie in like one yeah. five minute scene that's what i could come up with what you're describing is like that's really what the movie is like the scene you picked but if i wanted to explain the character's motivations and why all this is happening it would be that scene well also like yeah the idea of like you know we have to explain you know this is going to try to explain what what humanity is was or could have been mm -hmm. like that's more explaining what humanity is like humans want to love and have happiness uh but it doesn't always happen no it almost <laughs> never happens <laughs> And we're either still around or gone because of it. So, <laughs> yep. And then what this thing does, like next time we pick something, you know, we'll know like what scenes we've thrown in there before. And so, like, do we pick a scene and pair it with another scene from another movie, or do you just pick the best scene for a movie? So that's the idea: is just have have something that you know every podcast we do contributes to the amorphous idea of sending a probe into space with a supercut of movie. So. Uh, actually, we could probably like launch this. <laughs> like we could go to like uh, one of the one of the private space companies, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna send just like a gold record. It's gonna be shots from a movie. 
to the aliens and and they're going to freak out at first because we're ugly and then it's because we're making weird sounds <laughs> then they're going to look and and they're going to see something of themselves in it <laughs> because like in uh, uh what was the book the latest andy weir book hail mary <laughs> yeah hail mary when it's like oh if it's a giant spider it's like how is it going to relate <laughs> that was the best part of that book I wanted to see what this alien looked like, and it's a spider. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all I have. Well, if you like what I heard, how can it you? You can go to um, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash effect, or you can go to veroeffect.com. It'll take you to the same spot. Yeah. Uh, we used to have Anchor FM, but now it's been merged into Podcasters by Spotify or something like that. Yeah, so. now we're with Spotify, like us, and then Joe Rogan. <laughs> we're getting paid the same. Yeah, we're making this. <laughs> yeah. I just quit my job. <laughs> we're doing this. Uh, you can rate us whatever you want in your pa- platform of your choice, but remember, the only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest ratings. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't c- control you. Uh, you can also we also have listener support at veroeffect.com where you can support us on a monthly stipend of either 99 cents, 499, or 999. Find us at Twitter at Verhoven Effect, Facebook, Verhoven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory and watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we have t-shirts at blowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoven Effect podcast, I'm Gunlin. And I'm Nathan, and I have one last thought. Whatever you think of this content, because, you know, we were talking about the algorithm not controlling you and rate us <laughs> however you like. No matter how bad you think this is or how good you think it is, depending on, you know, whatever whatever your belief system is. Remember, this wasn't generated by AIs. <laughs> like, two guys sat down and did this. So as imperfect as it is, it is based, this is basically what humans can do. <laughs> and this is what V'ger is seeking, to be one with the creator. <laughs> so no matter what remember we are the creators Love it or hate it, <laughs> this is the verhoven effect i'm nathan <laughs> i'm goblin <laughs> goodbye america